Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters podcast. This is episode 48. You've got Chris and Brian. Um, This time around, we're going to talk about our systems-based approach to setting up um, weapons for personal and home defense. Um, By systems-based approach, we mean making sure that the weapons we have are interoperable with each other, especially when it comes to ammunition, uh, magazines, and adding on accessories such as lights, sights, etc. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to throw out a, a, a quick example of somebody walking into the store here at Cap City and and basically saying, you know, um, it's coming up on fall. I switched over to this Glock 45 when it first came out. Uh, Glock 45 is a 17 round Glock 19. So it's a G17 frame, G19 upper. Um, this individual is a pretty astute individual, uh, well-trained, well-practiced um, wanted to try the G45 out as a carry gun over the summer. Uh, hardest time to conceal a bigger gun. Found that with the right holster, even with the grip size on that gun, not a big deal to carry it in the right holster. Um, they were lamenting to me their concern about now having to buy three sets of sights and two more G45s because they want to have the same gun. They want to have a gun, a spare, and one in the safe, and they want them all to have the same sights on them. They want them all to have the same lights on them and all that kind of thing. Um, That customer is operating under a systems approach. They're taking the mentality that they want whichever gun they pick up to be the same, and heaven forbid, should that gun decide that it's not going to work, the second one in the line behind it will be almost identical or identical, whatever the case may be. Um, This is not a podcast on how to dump on people who collect guns. If you collect guns and that's your hobby and you want as many different guns as you can possibly have, that's cool. But from an approach, from a personal defense approach and a longevity approach, um, logistically speaking, uh, whether it's for self-defense, whether it's for the end of the world, whether it's just for training, ease of training, that type of thing, um, that's more what we're talking about here. So, you know, if you're somebody who just likes to collect shiny things, that's cool too. That's just not part of this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, to go back to that, the guy with the Glock 45, you know, in the event that he had, you know, additional Glock 19s or Glock 17s, uh, you know, the need to get an additional Glock 45s maybe isn't as much of a priority, but having a whole bunch of Glock 17 mags probably would be. Bingo. Yeah, and and I'm the same way. I mean, I you know uh, over the years I, I got I jumped on board with Glock almost by accident in the early '90s, like '93. Um, there's there's a certain reality check to, um, I, I you know I don't own very many guns, period, but I do own five Glock 19s. I also have a Glock 43 just in case I can't carry a gun, then I carry it. Um, the my the Glock 19s that I have are all set up nearly identical. I have one. Um, I've tried different triggers on a couple different guns. Um, but they all run like Vickers slide stops. Um, they all run, uh, most of them run Vickers extended mag releases that aren't over, they're not too big. Um, I run Trigicon HD sites, mostly XRs on them. Um, you know, that kind of mentality. And then the one I'm running with an optic, I still have an orange dot front sight. It just happens to be an Americola suppressor height front sight. Um, the guns are all pretty much the same. And even if I've got like an agency trigger in one, uh, an apex trigger in another, and then stock Glock triggers in the rest, um, they all have the same connector. They ha- all have about the same pull weight, even if the characteristics for take up and reset and over travel are slightly different. They're all pretty much the same gun. And from a holster perspective, with the exception of the optic and the suppressor height sights, I can throw any of them in any holster either by adding or removing a light. Um, and, and the lights will be another conversation we'll get into in a minute as well. 
Um, it, you know, so it just makes life easy from that perspective. If I go to the range, I can take spare holster, a spare gun, and if something would happen to go down, I, I've got an extra to throw in the same holster and put that gun on the sideline and do whatever. So that's kind of yeah. my mentality around it. And, you know, being at the range, most of the people you're at the range with are shooting Glock 19s. If they're cool. So in the event, <laughs> you know, something, something goes down, the holster breaks, a gun has a bad day. Um, getting a spare or being able to get back up and running is relatively easy. Yeah, and that and that has happened. I mean, for certain, you know, we've had guys running um, guns other than Glock 19s and having a gun, a holster, a couple mags and a mag pouch as a spare allows someone else to stay in the game or stay in the training day or stay in the class and, and not waste that. So, um, you know, so whatever your system is, you might, you might look at it from that perspective. Um, but that's kind of where we're coming from on this. Um, you know, we talked for a moment about lights. Um, if you guys have been in the shop, you know that we are big fans of Surefire products, um, especially for handgun lights. Um, and that's not to dog on other products, but the Surefires have a proven track record. Um, they do what they're supposed to do. They put a lot of light down range. They have a lot of good spill. They mount well. They stay on the gun. The switching's effective and efficient. They don't um, drain the batteries on their own. Yeah, they don't, you know, and, and weird things like that. Um, it, the other thing is with the, you know, if you're running the same light, then you're used to it. Uh, I do see guys that will run, you know, different lights on different guns. And I've done that, and I get out of a necessity of going to a smaller gun. Maybe the same light won't go on that smaller gun, and that's cool. That's no big deal. Um, figuring it out. But if it's the same gun, you know, unless you're test driving a light, a different light to see if it works or if it holds up or whatever the case may be, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to say that right now I probably have four or five X300s. Um, a couple of the newer ones or a few of the newer ones and a couple of the older ones. Um, and, and so the switching's the same, everything's the same. Even going from the pistol to the rifle, there's just not a lot of thought process if I want to run that particular light on the long gun too. So it just works, keeps things simple. Well, and it gives you the, the option if needed to pull a, a light off a pistol and put on a long gun or yeah. vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, guys, so, you know, we kind of talk a little bit about handguns here with the systems approach. Um, if we step over to, to um, I'm going to jump into shotguns because they're the odd man out. We'll kind of get them out of the way. Uh, recently, had a customer of ours, a guy that we train with on a pretty regular basis, um, stand-up guy, good dude. Um, but I kind of on a whim um, purchased a, an, an off-brand pump shotgun for defensive use, for training use. Um, and, and I think that the thought process was I have my Remington 870 set up in my security device bolted to the wall, etc., or whatever at home, um, and it's ready to go. So I don't want to use it to train with, um, either to keep from getting extra rounds on it or, or whatever. And the idea was to set up an analog, um, but the gun purchased was a different brand, and it wasn't a Mossberg or a Savage, or pardon me, a Mossberg or a, um, an, 870. a, a Remington 870, um, it, you know, which the 870 to me would have been the way to go to have two of the same guns from a spare parts perspective, from a use perspective, the safeties are in the same place. The slide release is in the same place. It handles the same, etc. Um, and and spare parts would be interchangeable as well. Things like side saddles, lights, things of that nature. Um, but he found a good deal on a Savage pump shotgun. Um, probably a good gun. I mean, I you know I don't know anything about Savage shotguns. Um, but the reality check is when you start looking for accessories to put on the gun to hold extra ammunition, flashlights, things of that nature. Um, there's nothing out there. So we really weren't able to do a lot for him to get the gun set up, um, the way he wants to train with it. And then also as, as a backup to the gun he already has, um, 
you know, so I, you know, and again, if you want to run a Mossberg or a 870 because you want to be able to trained up on both of them, that's cool. But if you have one and you're thinking about buying a second one, it just kind of makes sense to do the same thing. That's the systems approach we're talking about. Um, and when you talk about shotguns and stuff like that, um, we're going to run into a situation where you're going to have less options for accessories with shotguns anyway, as compared to ARs. So bear that in mind. So this stuff with the shotguns, um, you know, the, the systems approach matters. Uh, the 870, the Mossberg 500s, 590s have been around forever and have really good support. Um, and like you were, you know, you're just saying, if there's, there's not a lot of aftermarket support for any other of the guns out there, with the possible exception of the new Beretta 1301s. Um, and even that, you know, is relatively limited when it yep. comes to forends yes. and putting lights and slings and stuff on the gun. Um, the 1301 is still a little bit more of a competition gun mm -hmm. than a defensive gun. Um, the Benelli's are, because they're an, an inertia operating system, um, they're very weight sensitive. Adding a light and an optic may make the gun not operate. Yeah, if it's an, especially if it's an older one. The newer ones don't have that same problem, um, but the older ones definitely were very, very, very mass sensitive. Um, and, and like I said, you're going to a premium gun and spending a boatload of money. The base model Beretta cost $1,100 retail, and now you're buying you know, the Aridus kits and the Magpul 4 that you have to modify things. We're getting into almost gunsmithing at that point to make some of that stuff work. So that's why we're not giving them a lot of play. It's not that they're not sexy, not that they're not really cool. You can do it. You're just going to spend a ridiculous amount of money versus buying uh, a used $250 $870 at the gun show and then putting $100 worth of Magpul stuff on it, and all of a sudden you're pretty much set up to do whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, and that, that's <clears throat> honestly one of the big advantages to the Remington 870 and the Mossberg uh, 500-590 series is the availability of the Magpul parts, be yep. it on the stock and then especially on the forend to add M-lock slots up there. Uh, makes it really easy to add QDs for slings, uh, adding Picatinny rail where you need it um, to put a light on there. Um, and then on the same thing on the stock, having you know the ability to add QD swings levels and then changing your length of pull and also your cheek weld to make that gun really comfortable to, to run. Yep. Yeah, you can definitely increase efficiency and you can do it without spending anywhere near the money you would on anything else to have that done. Um, so, you know, the Magpul stuff has made a big difference on the shotguns with that, especially. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the, just again, kind of thinking that systems approach, um, I, I'm a little weird in that I do own an 870 and a 590, but I bought them because if I'm going to train a lefty on how to use a shotgun, um, and they have a choice, they should probably be running a Mossberg. Um, and then I have the 870 cause that's what I grew up with and what I know, and it's what I'm most comfortable with. So, um, but yeah, um, you know, and, and gosh, Brian mentioned that the, M, the Mag, Magpul stuff in the M-Lock, um, that's kind of part of the systems approach too. Um, you know, you start getting into the M-Lock slots. We'll talk about rifles now. Um, you know, with, with JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command for the military, basically saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and adopt M-Lock. Um, that's now the new standard. Um, and we'll talk about Mag, we'll talk about M-Lock over Picatinny and things of that and, and what the differentials might be and why you would do one or the other real quick here too. Um, but again, going to rifles, uh, you can be an AK guy and an AR guy. That's fine. Um, you know, there's stuff out there for AKs that allow you to put M-Lock on. Gosh, it's made by Magpul. Funny thing that, yeah. um, you know, so <clears throat> there's your systems going one way or the other. And so again, we're not saying, you know, don't own an AR or don't, and an AK, you know, it has to be 
six of the exact same guns, you know, in the arms room lined up side by side is not where we're going. But the mentality of having things that seem similar that you're used to, and maybe even consolidating your ammo choices too, you know, it's cheaper to buy ammo in bulk. And if you need ammo for two different guns that are two different calibers, that means you're spreading that money out. So, yeah. Uh, you know, when we talk about ARs, you know, what we're looking for is a, a quality gun. Um, we standardize ourselves on PMAGs for magazines. So being able to feed, you know, a PMAG into a 5.56 calibered long gun um, becomes really important. And then, you know, making sure that we can put Picatinny rail on that gun where we need it. Um, primarily, you know, having a flat top upper. Um, it's hard to believe it's 2019 and we're still having flat top upper conversations with people. Yeah. But being able to run an optic on an AR um, really means you have a flat top upper. And then, you know, on the handyard, you know, we've gone from quad rails being kind of the cool guy thing and fairly ubiquitous even six, seven years ago. It's kind of the only way to go um, to now having, you know, M-Lock handguards and it gives us the ability to put Picatinny rail exactly where we need it um, or just running accessories directly into the M-Lock slots. Uh, a lot of things like um, Surefire Scout mounts, um, QD, swings, uh, QD sling swivels, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, vertical hand, hand stops or grips, um, angled foregrips, things like that. A lot of those now also droop mount directly into the M-Lock. And it gives us a lighter, um, lower overall profile weapon. And, you know, really importantly, it keeps the diameter of that handguard a lot um, thinner and a lot smaller than a full-on quad rail, um, especially when you start adding, you know, rail protectors so you don't cheese greater your hand. Yeah. Um, it makes that gun more comfortable to hold on to, uh, more efficient and more effective to hold on to because you're not fatiguing your grip all day long. Yeah. Um, and it, overall, it's just a lot lighter, and it, it lets you drive the gun between targets a lot faster. Yeah, M-Lock definitely keeps the gun slimmer, saves you weight, and gives you the modularity to put stuff where you need it, but not have extra stuff where you don't. Um, I mean, you know, M-Lock is the way to go. And there are some other types of attachment systems that do similar things, but with the military standardizing on M-Lock, it's really hard to give anything else a serious nod. Um, and, and going with proprietary stuff can be miserable. Uh, we, we just had a gentleman who purchased a gun from a, a, a complete weapon from a very high-end firearms manufacturer, um, and, and the gun had pieces of top Picatinny rail, but in between had M-Lock slots, but they weren't standardized flats. Um, so when you went to put some type of mount on it, so even with a modern M-Lock, you can run into situations where people kind of did it their way, um, and it makes no sense whatsoever. So as you're looking at that, make sure that what you're looking at is truly M-Lock, not somebody's, pardon my French, but somebody's bastardization of it. Um, because we went to mount some stuff on top of the gun where we were missing pick rail. And it's like, oh, no big deal. We'll throw some pick rail on there. And then realize that you have to go to that manufacturer and buy their specific pieces parts to get pick rail anywhere else because of aesthetics, because of how they want it to look, I guess. Um, and it was kind of frustrating. It's kind of vexing because it's like, wow, these are, you know, the leaders in the industry and they're still doing goofy crap like this to kind of, I guess, keep things in house and force you to buy their products. And the world doesn't work like that anymore. Uh, modularity is the key. So, um, we talk about pick rail and we kind of poo poo pick rail. Pick rail is needed if you need a mounting system that is repeatable from an accuracy or point of aim, point of impact standpoint for aiming devices. But just about anything else on the gun doesn't need that kind of precision for mounting. 
So just about anything that doesn't need to be zeroed can be M-locked onto the gun. And my guess is in the next few years, you're going to see M-locked mounting systems that become repeatable as long as the rails are precise enough for M-lock yeah. mounting systems to be repeatable, um, especially at likely the military's request to be able to mount a PEC or a MAUL or some kind of laser aiming device into an M-lock system on the side of the gun and just maintain the PIC rail on top as we see is common now. So I see that's probably what's common. Um, so now that we've kind of beat Picatinny rail half to death and we're telling you how awesome M-lock is, um, you know. I still love my Picatinny rail. Yeah, I don't. I think they're silly, but I have little girly hands. And I, I, I take that back. I love my Picatinny rail where I need it. Exactly. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, it's it very, is, very functional. It's still very much the, yeah. is the mill standard M1913. Yeah. Um, and it, Picatinny is not going away. Um, just the, you know, the boat anchor of a quadril handguard is definitely yeah. going away. Absolutely. Um, so looking at standardization for other parts of the, of the rifle, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you you have to have all the same optic on a gun because if you've got a gun that's designed for maybe intermediate range, say, you know, um, zero yards to 300 or 400 or 500 yards, um, you know, you're going to be way more well served by something with some manner of magnification, whether it's a fixed power like an ACOG or a low power variable. Um, but if everything you do is up close, then having a dot optic is just fine. Um, and also understand that that LPV, that low power variable can, can get, keep you up close and happy just about as well as a dot if it's a good one with a big tube. So, you know, so maybe, you know, we see a lot more people go with low power variables and having the same scope on a couple different guns, even if their intended uses are slightly different, it just gives you the versatility. Um, but, but either way, you know, so if it's optics, you want to standardize there from a usage or battery perspective or, or whatever other commonality mounting systems, etc. that's cool too. Um, you just got to work your way through those things and make sure you can articulate to yourself your reasoning behind making those choices. Um, you know, we talk about uh, optics, we talk about hardware on the gun, grips and stuff like that. Uh, different grip angles on an AR. You might have a more rake to the rear grip angle on a gun you plan on using off a bipod or from supported positions and stuff like that in a more of a target shooter stance or a target shooter's mindset versus a lot more vertical grip for guns that you're going to use for social work or for structure work and stuff like that or vehicles. Um, you know, so, so making some of those things standard across the usage of the gun or what the gun's designed for mission wise can be a big deal as well. Um, you know, so work those things into your plan, um, cheek weld on stocks and stuff like that. If you, yeah. you know, if you've got really high cheeks, uh, really high cheekbones, really high orbital or pardon me, yeah, cheekbones. Um, and you know, you, you want that little bit wider stock, be consistent across your guns with it because it'll make it a lot easier to find that reticle where it's supposed to be, whether it's inside of a non-magnified or a magnified reticle, uh, optic. So Yeah, and, and on that note, having uh, flashlights mounted in roughly the same position every time mm -hmm. um, makes things a lot simpler uh, so that you get a consistent index point and you're not reaching for different things in different places. Um, also keeping lights in the same family um, makes life a lot simpler. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that a little bit, you know, with handheld lights, uh, we mentioned that, you know, we're X 300 guys, uh, at least I am. Um, you know, if you're looking at doing a different lighting system, the, the TLR one HL is a great example, phenomenal light, lots of light output, lots of spill, very durable, um, a proven light. Uh, but the switching is very different from an X 300. If you flip the toggle up or down one way or the other, depending on which side of the light you're on, it may lock on, or it may just momentary on, um, whereas with the Surefire, if I flip it up or down, it's going to go on and stay on. 
the moment area is a press on the back of the light from either side. So it's ambi inconsistent in how you use it, which is one of the reasons I like it because I don't want to turn the light on and have it stay on when I don't want it on on accident. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and to, ultimately we're trying to make things as simple as possible so that we don't have to consciously think about them under stress. Yeah. Well, and, and to make life easier, um, you know, I, I'm going to throw slings out for a second. I run the Blue Force Gear um, two-point quick adjust slings. Uh, I have three slings that I can run on, I think at present count, about seven different guns. Um, I've got everything set up with QD sling swivels, whether it's a Remington 870, whether it's the Mossberg 590. Um, I have an AK that I just rednecked. I flat drilled a hole right through the freaking receiver. Um, and, and, and then hollowed out the wood inside. So it'll take a QD. And then I drilled a hole in the forend and put a Magpul QD cup in the forend of it. And so I have a two point sling configuration on an AK. That's probably a 1960s vintage gun that had no consideration for that type of sling system. And so I keep a sling in my range bag. And then if I know what gun I'm taking to the range, you know, I think about it, I'll throw a sling on it too. And then that gives me a spare sling in case something goes sideways but I generally have a sling for whatever long gun I'm running with me in the range bag in case I forget because, you know, I was playing with the wrong toy that day, whatever happens. So, yeah. And it allows me to save some money too, because I don't have to have 10 different slings. So at, at 50 bucks a pop or more. So systems. Yeah. Batteries. Uh, we kind of run everything on CR 123s. Yeah. That's going to be tough. That's going to be our two. 32s. Yeah. Yeah. The, the small little, whatever, you know, the small little, uh, coin op or coin batteries. Um, that's going to be interesting in the future. Seeing some of the lights coming out. Now we're playing around with the cloud defense owl test driving it. And, um, it runs on an 18650, but it is not a shove two CR one, two threes in it in lieu of an 18650. Um, that is contraindicated and actually will avoid the warranty and could damage the light. Um, really so we, interesting I, I to take see. take that back when I say, we standardize on, on non-rechargeable batteries. It's all it, CR 123s. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just, I'm just curious to see where the industry is going to go as as lighting systems require more energy dump to give you the brightness output that a a non-rechargeable cell just can't do it right now. And you know, will the technology come out with rechargeable cells or non-rechargeable cells that are cheap enough to? Yeah dump the energy, dump the amount of current you need to make the light that bright. Um, that's a brave new world aspect. Um, but having said that, even the OWL, uh, the people at Cloud Defense, our systems approach folks too. Um, if you look at their product line, that's the whole conversation is creating that system that you can use anywhere, any way you want. Um, and a big push with that is also going to be, um, they, they give you a charger and two batteries with the flipping light when you buy it. I mean, these people are genius. I don't know who thought of that, but I want to hug them. Mm -hmm. I like hugging people. <laughs> so, cool. Um, guys, we could go, we could drone on or prattle on about this probably ad nauseum from a systems perspective. Um, but, but doing the systems things makes your life easy. It keeps things simple. Kiss principle kind of mentality. It saves you money in the long run. Um, it, it just does so much for you. It allows you to not have to maybe, you know, a lot brain power to things that you could be spending better elsewhere, like I think it's my mentality, or fiscal power that I could be spending elsewhere. Um, it just frees up money, time, and and bandwidth to do other things. So yeah. probably not as exciting as owning one of everything, um, but man, it makes life easy. 
Um, you know, we, we've got guys who are so systems approach, they wear the exact same black Vertex shirt every day, except for one gray one. They do? They With do. their carpenter jeans? With their carpenter jeans. Same pair of carpenter jeans every day, no confusion. Um, and it's not even a colorblindness issue. It's just the way he is. God love him. Systems approach works. So, cool. On that note, you can find us on social media at Cap City Outfitters. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Visit us, visit us on the web at capcityoutfitters.com and come visit us. We are in Hilliard, Ohio at 4465 Century Road. We will see you soon.